Hello and welcome to the Cognitive Engineering Podcast produced by me, Fraser McGrew, for Aleph Insights. In this series of podcasts, we take a look at interesting topics and discuss what we think they tell us about analysis and decision-making. I am here with Peter Coghill and Nick Hare of Aleph Insights, and this week we're going to start by discussing test and trace. Peter. We're going to start with what are we yeah. going to do afterwards? What are we going to do afterwards? Well, it's because well, we can talk about it later, but um, okay. but yeah, right. um, Peter, lead us. I, I have in. to say, I do but, quite like the fact that we don't actually talk about the thing we say we're going to talk about. I feel like that's our thing. Yeah, and if we, I think if we that's start that's kind of the fun changing. thing. <laughs> yeah. There's like a, there's a juxtaposition between the topic we say we're going to talk talk about the thumbnail yeah. and then what we actually talk about they're the all different real, because because what we talk about is the real issue the interesting thing the alephy thing which it's almost and i quite like that it's, it's like we're saying yeah we're having a big conversation about how to make effective fast decisions yeah that is talking about track test and trace right but you don't realize if you want to know about test and trace just look it up boring we're talking about the real issue which is about this other thing so why don't we just say we're talking about the real issue, which uh, I know why, actually. Because, because it works. It's fun. It's like saying, OK, so we're going to have a big, long conversation about lollipops. And then we spend ages going into lots of detail about, you know, the economics of sugar production. Um, <laughs> that's what's fun about it. I like the fact that it's... Hold on. And this week, we're discussing <laughs> test and tricks. Yeah. Uh, Peter, lead us in. OK, so this, this, this is about a uh, report that was published by the Public Accounts Committee in uh, March this year about uh, Test and Trace, uh, which is uh, the UK's effort to uh, test people, trace their contacts and alert people about coronavirus uh, mm. and try to stem the spread of the virus, try to control it, try to understand where it's going and that sort of thing. Um, this so this report uh, looks in the so for not for non UK listeners or for uninformed UK listeners the Pub public accounts committee is a body of uh, MPs it's a select committee of MPs in Parliament whose job it is to oversee government expenditure uh, basically to it's cross to party be, I presume cross yeah. party uh, should be fairly un should be it's supposed to be pretty like neutral. Um, and their job is to be to try to make government spending more effective and more honest, try to ensure transparency and accountability, make sure public money is not being mis misappropriated. misappropriated. Just, just as an aside, uh, it's the one committee that strikes fear into the heart of every civil servant because it's the only committee that civil servants can be called to account at. Mm -hmm. So uh, you know, it's the most sc the scariest thing any any yeah. any permanent <laughs> undersecretary will ever have to do. Right, 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 right. <laughs> so, so they, so they, so they, so their job. Uh, so they, they, so they Obviously, they've been looking into test and trace to see if it's been good value for money, if it's have, having the effect it should be having, uh, etc., etc. But the the report is not particularly favourable, um, mainly because the, the the sort of the the headline is that the report uh, says that there's no there's no or little evidence that the the scheme um, has actually had any positive impact in curbing the virus now that might be because it's very difficult to sort of test that measure that because we don't know what would happen have happened if we didn't have test and trace but um it's it, it does comment on the fact that there's there's the 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 metrics and the measures that test and trace kind of publish are really about the number of tests that they performed rather than look trying to account for how effective that has been at curbing the virus now this is 
it's it's interesting and it's very topical at the moment. But it's 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 it occurred to me that this is an interesting question because this this test and trace regime process was set up very very quickly, has had a lot of bad press and a lot of sort of uh, a, lot, a lot of criticism. And Wait, it's hold got on. quite it's an cost ast- a huge amount of money. Right? And have cost, we said that? It's how, cost mu- how much ast- did it cost? Astonishing amount of money. So its budget um, what is thirty seven billion pounds over two years. Uh, and that was up that was sort of originally set up as uh, twenty billion, I think, and then it was uplifted by seventeen. So oh. it's it's quite a big public expense quite a lot of money going into it so a lot i mean criticism in the public press is about how much it's being spent it's all it's all been contractors and all the contractors earning thousand pounds a day oh my god that's terrible but Mm. actually you know where who else was going to do it you're not going to sort of generate you're not going to suddenly find thousands of civil servants to do it and anyway they probably wouldn't have been any more cost effective but so it's it it, there's there's a lot of money being spent on this so but the Mm. question the rate the question it raised in my head Mm. was is it possible and if it is possible, what's the best way of doing, of going about making big spending decisions like this, setting yeah. up this sort of thing, fast? So within a week, within a month of needing to needing to needing to set something up to try and curb coronavirus, what would be the process for making that that big decision, that big spending decision? Okay, okay, yeah, because it, this is what governments have to do, right? Is mm-hmm. is they have big decisions to make that affect millions of lives and they have at their disposal all sorts of resources um so how can you yeah how can that process best work nick um what are your thoughts on this well i am not i'm not as ready i mean i i love the public accounts committee and I'm, I'm always on their side if there's a fight between them and some stupid department wasting money but i don't think we're in a position uh and, and i i will admit and i haven't read this report i've only read reporting about the report but i don't think we're really in a position to sort of work out what the effect has been um i mean i have to say when they started rolling out mass testing i, I did express puzzlement at the time as to how this was going to stop it spreading and everyone said well you you test people and then you can but actually you know the problem is by the time you're testing people you're they've probably done all this work of spreading the virus anyway so so i i never quite clear exactly what the business case is behind you know if we test we can we can the, i mean what it enables you to do and what it in fact enabled us to do was to bring in a lockdown probably a bit timelier than we would have done if we hadn't been testing people well, well, um, well hold on for a second hold on because um i'm interested Let, let's think about this because as essentially a lay person in this i.e you I mean, I'm, I'm trying to wonder who is in the room and what departments, what stakeholders that make that decision happen around test and trace, right? Because you, I mean, and I guess there might have been people like you, strategists. I mean, I don't know, you know, if yeah, you were no, back I, in... I, I, look, I, I'm just, it doesn't really matter. What well, all I'm saying is that, is that the the case, the, the case that was made, or at least there was this kind of gap in the case where mm. it was like, look, if we test lots of people, then we can stop the virus before it gets out of the, you know, before the, we can we can shut the door before the horse has bolted. And I, and I and I always it always struck me as very optimistic that you could do that. No, but, but I mean, Nick, there's Nick, obviously Nick, Nick. value in having test data. Okay. Obviously, because you can find out what's what the virus is up to, and it gives you a chance to adjust policy. But I think the idea that what you'd be able to do is identify all the people who had it using using test and trace, 
uh, and get them all to stay indoors, it seemed. Yeah, I don't pretty. You, you don't need a hundred, but you wouldn't necessarily need a hundred percent kind of stopping of all exposure to limit the spread of the virus. So if you yeah. can, so if, so if which if, brings if, me, if, if, no, if, I agree. If, if you, if you, if you, so if it would you, have had so some effect. I want to hear from Peter. It was set up with an assumption that testing was going to get better, and testing the sort of the 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 test the time between between sample taken and the result result found would have would be shrink and i think now they can get it down to hours yeah right um, so if so there was I a, just yeah, that, that... want to carry on with saying what i'm saying right okay yeah. agreed <laughs> yeah i know all that the the point is that the effect it's going to have had is not something where we can say oh there was a second lockdown therefore it failed all we the point is that the effect it's going to have had is going to be some sort of quantitative one it will have in some way will have will have will have slowed the spread of the virus or something and potentially saved lives because, you know, then we we have fewer people die of it and until we get the, the vaccine. Right. So you see where I'm going. I'm just saying that the effect it will have had is going to be a quantitative one and not as the reports that I've read are saying is, oh, we had two two more lockdowns. So therefore it can't have worked. It, Nick, what it would have what it would Nick. have done is had some dampening effect but we don't know what that is right because we don't have the counterfactual we don't have another uk where they didn't have test and trace and we can say for sure you know nick it is relevant because is it do you think it would be possible to voice that same opinion that you've given now at the time to say you know look i don't think this is going to work it's because of um i haven't just said it didn't work no 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 what? listen <laughs> if that it's not going to work in terms of lag because of the lag in terms of of spreading um slowing the spread of coronavirus but it would have given us uh but this will give us data and that's useful to have right but that's, I think that's, that's not you've that's said. not the argument i'm making what i'm saying is that what i'm saying is that is that you we don't know whether test and trace worked that's all i'm saying that is basically the gist of what yeah. I'm saying. Well, that, I mean, that's, I, that's, I, that's... I, I'm saying there's a priori, right? Mm -hmm. I, I didn't quite understand what the argument was that this was going to have a significant effect. But forget about that. We're not a priori. We're a posteriori now. Mm -hmm. And I'm saying that now we don't. We just don't know whether or not yeah. what effect it had. It definitely had some effect, right? Because my uncle got contacted by them and told to stay indoors for two weeks, which he did. So it, it and there must be lots of people like that. So it so, must have had so some achieved, effect. It's, it's, it's I achieved, texted you to that effect, Nick, and you know, yeah. stay away for it's two. It achieves weeks. the aim of inconveniencing your uncle. <laughs> but beyond that, so the, that's that's kind of the criticism of the report. The report is saying. They publish lots of data, which is good, you know, well done. But it's all—it's data on like how many people have been tested and that sort of thing. What it's not doing is is looking at ways of measuring its own effectiveness and publishing that data. Yeah. So we, your your point about we don't know if it's had an effect is exactly what this report, kind yeah. of what it, the num number one conclusion recommendation is saying is you need they need to look at that as well. Sure. And but I, but all, all of this is a bit incidental because we what we really want to talk about is this question of how could it could it have been done better? So let's pretend that that's we know what I'm trying to ask. Yeah. But let's let's pretend that we know it was it, it, it hasn't worked. Right. Which I don't accept. It has worked. But the question is whether or not the extent to which it's worked is worth the 37 billion quid we've spent on it. Right. Um, so let's assume as well that the government had to act quickly and didn't really have time to do things properly in inverted commas and i don't really accept that either but um th this question of like fast decision making and whether it can be done well and that mm. sort of thing um so i suppose let's say that there are t at least two types of decision making which we might want to think about 
So there's the cognitive type of fast decision making about which quite a lot has been written. Not, not, not. There's been a lot more written than there are actual facts and data about it. But whether or not people make better decisions if they act quickly and under what circumstances. Um, and then I think more pertinent to this case is, you know, how what happens with organisations and whether or not whether or not they can make decisions quickly and whether or not acting quickly is better or worse and if so by how much and presumably and this is you might have said it there directly and i might have missed it but you know in what situations do you want a quick decision is, is it ne is it a decision might be necessary but does it have to be a quick decision right yeah and also yeah, which what, is certainly what constitutes not always... quick yeah exactly so i think with with um uh, just to take the cognitive case, almost to kind of ride roughshod over that and get beyond it, the, this question of whether or not, you, you would think a priori, that's quick decisions can only be worse because you've got less information. But the whole, uh, there's a whole kind of body of um, cognitive um, psychology, really looking at, looking at uh, the ways that people make decisions and whether or not actually sometimes spending time thinking about something makes your decision worse and there was that that book by Malcolm Gladwell which is pretty terrible but um, it's what it's a quite which good one? read but it, but it doesn't make any sense blink which right. which uh, makes the, the argument that actually a lot of experts have a, their sort of intuition which they immediately come to is often correct but then they they can then start spending too long thinking about the information they have in a sort of conscious way and then override their previously correct intuition and um uh, he's got all kinds of anecdotal examples about that like from firefighters and um and you know art experts and stuff whether they're trying to judge a forgery so um yeah so there, there's there's i i think there's but i mean in general i think it, there's that's really only true of a very few specific situations which are the, where you have a, a lot of expertise in something but crucially that you're able to get feedback fairly immediate feedback so you know if you're a firefighter you can see what happens after you've seen you know after you've seen uh, situation a and it's followed by situation b you can assimilate that information um, even though there may be it may be something very complex and difficult for you to articulate and not reducible to some set of rules uh, you know you, you're clearly assimilating a lot of information and able to identify connections um, between you know a cause and an effect um, but anyway there's a lot of debate about it and I think in general the, the, I think a lot of people were a bit annoyed that it seemed like Malcolm Gladwell was kind of saying hey your intuition is great trust your intuition which isn't true at all unless you're an under unless you're a real expert and about something where if you like there is very good training data so you know let's put anyway let's put that aside I thought I'd mention it because that's relevant to sort of fast decision making in general but this question of organizations right and the extent to which they can be fast or slow or good or bad I've, I've struggled as always whenever you look at anything to do with organizations and business all you get all you can find on the internet is um you know terrible um business articles and mm. gray literature and survey data and dubious frameworks called things like uh, uh no think do uh, and uh, <laughs> anecdotes and very little in the way of data. So I, I, I think we may be in the in the business of, of trying to reason from first principles because I can't really I can't find, um, you know, any studies really which have tried to um, 
tried to look at the speed of an organizational decision and the extent to which it's good I, 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 only only my own kind of analysis of looking at sort of think when big decisions go wrong my feeling and i feel like this is the this is the situation with test and trace mm. is that it's not actually time that's the problem like i mean with test and trace you could in the space of a couple of hours sketch out some boundaries for what the costs and benefits might be and what sorts of magnitude of effect you would have to have um you know what sort of saving you would need in terms of lives it's not you know that's not it's not it's not like you've got to spend ages gathering data is what i'm saying it's it's not because normally that's the slow bit in decision making is acquiring information but there wasn't any information to acquire here you know it's something that they could have done and presumably didn't so I don't really think this is about. There's not that trade-off, and I think in most big big decisions which go wrong, um, I, I would say the classic example would be something like the the Titanic. You know, not putting enough lifeboats on the Titanic. It's not because they didn't have time to add the lifeboats. It's because they they just didn't think about the situation, or they dismissed the the possibility that you know it could sink. Uh, there's questions I want to ask, but I think I want to bring in you, Peter. Um, what are your thoughts? Uh, well, just 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 say that we we I don't think we're saying that test and trace is wrong or the wrong decision. It's really the the the, the point is that it's not test and trace as it's set up is not measuring its own effectiveness. So I think we it's not it's too early to tell, and possibly we'll never know whether the three the, the thirty seven billion pounds was a good investment or not. It's an in, it's 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 been committed. It's been spent, but we don't know if it's worth the value that you know the value of the the return on investment whether it was worth it or not um what we're saying is like given you've got a big decision to make how do you go about doing it most effectively um so yeah we're not we're not we're not we're not we're not having a poke at test and trace despite sure. all the other criticism we don't want to we don't want to sully ourselves we don't want to lower ourselves to 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 the level so of it's taken enough of a beating else. hasn't it poor old yeah. test and trace and no, i think so most of the cost is most of that cost is in fact in testing which i don't think most people don't really object to most people complain about the app not working or mm. you know it being all of the contracts being given to um you know government cronies and not fairly let and all of that that is what i want to think we should go on to right is what happened here really is that exactly. the government bypassed the normal processes in a lot of ways like normally when you're spending this amount of money you would always be expected to put things out to tender to run a proper competition now those things do take months right so that's right the problem is that probably so this is wasn't a, an option this is a situation where time was the issue right um or certainly one of the issues unlike let's say the you know the example you gave there of the titanic right um time really was a pressure here so they had the you know the decision makers had to act quickly but peter you you posed a question there or said this is what we want to talk about which is well how do you make a good decision even if we're not if we and yeah we're not saying that a bad decision was necessarily made with test and trace but we're saying so in a situation like that how does one make a good decision so what's the answer well the well the thing you don't do is you don't google 
how to make a big, uh, big decision fast because you, as Nick says you get a lot of junk so the fact that I just want to, just for just for let's lols, hope they didn't the, do that just for lols the uh yeah well, who knows just for lols the the, the, the top the, the top hit I got was from some company I'm not going to name because I don't want to get sued by them but um 12 ways to make hard decisions easier the first three are as follows follow you into your intuition Great. Number yes. two is meditate and listen to your inner wisdom. Now, I think that's probably the same as number one. I wrote um, this article. Yeah. Uh, and then and then uh, three is think about how your decision will make you feel after the fact. Yeah. And then number four, make, then, 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 then number four is ask yourself two important questions, which is basically pros and cons for the decision. So so I would I would skip one, two and three and just go to four and then, you know, uh, intuition important uh, and then skip five through 12 because basically yeah. you should just do a cost benefit analysis is the yeah. answer um yeah so but that but that to illustrate, that's to illustrate the point that there's a lot of this as you say gray literature there's a lot of this sort of pop science a lot of this kind what's, of what's gray literature what does that mean Busi- well, like business you know articles business blur blah blah blah, blah, com- blah by companies you know oh, who yeah. write a Un- white paper or something and- yeah Un- unscientific kind of opiniony stuff um yeah. anecdote driven um so there's a lot of there's a lot of stuff out there that you just can't really use. It's very difficult to get to a, a, a there's I don't think it's possible to create a, a framework for decision making that applies to everything that's Yeah, a bit like it's my I've got a framework for how to make a table, right? <clears throat> it's called gather, cut, build. First you gather your wood, then you cut it into the right shape and then you build it. It's a bit like that. So uh, I I think there's two things we need to distinguish between, which is the decision itself like whether you should do it or not whether you should whether you should do option a or option b and then there's the implementation and i think what we're saying is that you know we're the jury is out a bit on test and trace for the first criterion like we're not quite sure whether or not um it was a good idea but even if it is a good idea should the government have gone about it differently? And this is where we get onto this whole question about process. And if you look at what the moans are that, that business people have about decision making and everyone says it's too slow and the big organisations are bad at innovating and doing stuff quickly and all of that, it's because there's all these processes. Annoying red tape is the stuff that people moan about, right? Mm. But, I mean, so I mean, in defence of red tape, right, the reason that... Um, the reason that we, there is such a, a, a large amount of process, forget about a company. I mean, a company's got to worry about its shareholders and they'll be held to account by the shareholders. And that's fair enough. Um, governments is, is worse than that because they is our money. It really literally is money that they've taken from us and uh, are supposed to be spending properly on our behalf. And all of those rules are there is because in the past, because of past crap civil servants and corrupt politicians, you know, and, and what's happened with, you know, the test and trace with all the contracts being let to Boris Johnson's mates and, um, you know, contractors being hired at £6,000 a day and all of that is what happens if you don't apply those processes. Um, and so I feel like we're... We, it's really a no-win. I don't see that there's a way. You can't both have um, decision-making. You can't trust people to do, to implement things properly, right, without all of this oversight and process. If you have to get an organisation to act fast, 
you can't have all of that oversight and process. So what you get is, you know, um, is cronyism and, you know, favoritism and corruption. But you can't have you can't have neither. You yeah. know, <laughs> I'm afraid. So, so to summarise, then we, we again, we have maybe about one in 20 episodes we need to do. We, we managed to do this. But in this episode, we have a, we have reached a conclusion to our question. Right. Or which was, um, yeah. How do you make um, good decisions? How do you make fast, big decisions and do it well, right? And the answer is, don't make fast, big decisions, right? Don't, don't Unless make you have big, to. Right, yeah, it won't work. That's part A is don't make a, a big, important decision quickly because it will go wrong. Two, sometimes you have to make a big decision fast. And that's it, right? That, mm. That's it. Yeah, I do. But I think it is worth saying, uh, just to reiterate something I said earlier, just about, you know, the thing is about cost-benefit analyses. Well, actually, just in general, is they involve quite a lot of concepts that are not very intuitive, right? So uh, things like opportunity cost and probability and, um, you know, trying to de-bias yourself against failures of imagination by trying to do at least some kind of modicum of scenario generation. Um, they're, they're all things that are not time consuming you know they, these aren't going to delay a process compared to for example um you, you know contracting people which is going to take days even at its very quickest you know we're talking about is does this look like it could be a good idea order of magnitude what effect do we expect this to have you know and, and what does it depend on that we can't control and what are the probabilities of those things they're not easy right they're not things that you can expect some average, you know, input decision maker to, to necessarily understand. They're not mm. easy, but they're not slow, right? Mm. So, what, I mean, there are ways of doing this that are good and quite straightforward. So, I, I did so yeah, I suppose what I'm saying is there's no excuse for not trying to make the right decision. Mm. Where I think there is an excuse is having to implement it in a slightly shoddy way. And I guess the argument would be, well, perhaps you have to take that into account a bit you know, in your, in the cost side of trying to trying to set something like this up to gotcha. accept that you're going to be a victim of optimism bias and think that you can get it all done much quicker and better than you actually can. Mm. Uh, my old friend, optimism bias. <laughs> um, Peter, so gentlemen, we need to draw to a conclusion fairly soon. I've got a question I want to ask. Um, but Peter, anything you would like to add at this point? Well, uh, just to sum up, if you have the luxury of time, um, then you're sort of roughly speaking, your investment in the de-risking of a decision should be should be proportional to the overall cost of that decision. There's a, so the, 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 the rationalists that sort of the rationalists approach would be that you know you're you want to make the amount of money you spend analyzing the amount of effort you spend analyzing proportional to the amount of potential impact that you're going to have or the potential loss you're going to you're going to suffer um that 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 just sort of that's just that just makes you know that's obvious really yeah yeah okay um let me know so i've got a question i think i've asked this before in a podcast but um, let's give it a go so i think in in, previ in a previous past podcast i think i've asked what's the worst decision you've ever made or the best decision or something like that i don't know um, but I want to ask, what's the biggest fast decision that you've ever made? Mm. I don't know. How about that? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, I can answer that. Um, but, um, okay, it's let's, boring. Just in case I, I think mean... it'll be the same as everyone else. Is it going to be kids? Uh, but I was conscious. No, it's not kids. No, no. no that's uh, that's quite straightforward. I think um, 
that was more on rails in a way. No, because you can't you can't choose yeah. your kid, can you? Just you, you sort of think, well, we're going to have them. And Not that's yet. That. We'll get what we get, you know. But you can make the decision <laughs> With, to um, have a kid. <laughs> it, no, it's house. The house. It's the house. You know, it's like the biggest mm. decision, really, the biggest amount of money you're going to spend probably by an order of magnitude in your life. And, um, you know, when it comes to this house here, which I'm sitting in right now, um, we went in and looked around and I thought this is quite nice and then we went I discovered that there were these stairs leading down to the basement and there was a whole room in the basement um, mm. the room I'm sitting in now and the minute I saw it I thought that's it we've got to have this house and uh, and so we put the offer in and um, what there and then or more, more or less I mean and then obviously you know we have those institutional breaks on craziness like having a survey and all of those kinds of things but but it does it always struck me as weird that I probably spend more time worrying about what I'm going to cook for dinner than I worried about, you know, buying this house, which is, you know, weird when you think about it. But on the other hand, you know, what would have happened if I'd have spent ages mulling it over? We would have probably not ended up owning it. So there you are. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I, I when I bought my house, I didn't do that. <laughs> I, I, I I'd almost eliminated any kind of emotional reaction or, at all. I had an enormous spreadsheet with lots of different factors, <laughs> all that, all different, all weighted. I expect nothing uh, less. And I Peter. scored each house I visited uh, based on what I what data I could gather. And, and in fact, I used the same spreadsheet to decide which houses to go and see and which ones not to see based on information I could find about them from Right Move and things. Um, I'm trying. I'm struggling to think of any big decisions I've made. Yeah, but then you ended fast. up in a in a semi in Bex in Bexley. Well, there was a yeah. Was what's going on with that, that spreadsheet? That, that, what, the data yeah. it's spitting out. Well, that was the optimal place at the time for for, for very. For, was for one of your criteria must be at the end of the world's longest road? <laughs> <laughs> no, it was uh, no the, 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 the one of the what being close to a being conveniently close to shops was a major driver which was one of the things that put it there but that, you, should, that you, should, you should have had an it. input for frequency of saint george's flags <laughs> i should have had, i should have had an input for amount that nick Hare is going to moan about yeah well no the weird thing is is that you're right that you were still only a 10 minute walk from the station but it felt like an hour walk because that road was so long and straight it's really strange it was psychologically miles away from transport even though it was, you know, it was, uh, yeah, I, I was just trying to get yourself back on the straight and narrow. That's all it was. Yeah. Um, what about you, Fraser? I don't know. I mean, I've made, I, yeah. I mean, when you get to our sort of, well, I'm older than you, but when you get to my sort of age and uh, you making big decisions all the time, no, but there are some big life decisions. A I, titan of industry like yourself. <laughs> exactly. I know. I, all I can say is this, is that I do, I, I just do one of two things when there's a decision to me to be made, especially a big one, which is either just procrastinate or throw a dice. And, <laughs> yeah, either procrastinate for just you know months, years, or um, just take an insanely quick decision. And go, yeah, we'll do that. Mm. Um, probably more the latter. Well, isn't doesn't one necessarily lead to the other? If you procrastinate for ages to the point where you have to make the decision because it's because it's imminent, then you have to make the snap decision. Isn't it that the sort of the same thing? Doesn't Maybe. one necessarily lead I, to the I other? I feel like they're the opposite. I think what Fraser is saying is he either makes his mind up instantly or doesn't make his mind up for ages. Yeah, right. Um, that's yeah, yeah. No, I think that's it. So you are thinking about it while you're procrastinating. That's what you're saying. I think so. I don't know. But I, I like this approach. The thing is, that I like that approach because I think when you're procrastinating, it's probably because you think 
it's, it's often I, I i find that that's when you know what the answer is but you don't like it yeah it's like when you when you sort of think um okay well i know what the right thing to do here is but i don't want to have to do it um and i think yeah. i think probably that so in a way i would guess that probably the things where where it lines up and you think i want to do this thing and it seems like a good idea that's the instant fraser uh intuition says yes mm. but if but if it's not like that do, on a procrastination decision do you often end up do you usually end up not doing the thing that you were right. thinking about yeah. doing yeah, 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 I think so. So it's sort of your way of of coming to terms with the fact that you know the answers no deep down. Yeah, possibly. I don't know. Um, I'm quite enjoying this therapy session. This is quite good. <laughs> um, what I would say is I have made what others would call rash decisions. Mm. Now, to what extent they were quick or not, I don't know. For example, um, I have quit any number of jobs, right, um, and quit them when I've had all sorts of responsibilities um you know not long after i met you nick i moved to honduras mm. uh with a baby and became a dive master um a lot of people and i was in quite a an okay place in my career but i just couldn't be i just couldn't bear looking at walls anymore yeah. on computers um yeah i what, was that a good decision or not i don't know that sort of led that definitely led to me becoming a photographer filmmaker that you well, know yeah. just I as mean, a byproduct I, I don't think i well, it's another podcast, really. Yeah. But I think people yeah. overestimate the personal costs of doing things. Like people are much more resilient than they think they are, and so and you know, even if things go wrong, people are usually fine. And that, and actually, is my sort of general attitude to life. And this optimism yeah. bias that I talked about, I always think oh, it'll be fine. It'll be fine. Well, I don't think that's optimism. I mean, that's that's just true. Like people, mm. people, uh, the things that people dread happening, they cope with fine. And sure. actually, and again, just delving further into this therapy session, um, my, my father died when I was quite young, um, which is obviously quite a big thing to happen in someone's life. And I think a lesson that I personally took from that was, well, what's the worst that can happen here? No one's died, mm. you know, no one will die. And so as a result of that, you know, I've sort of often, I know that's my sort of take on it. Oh, I think um, that's a good takeaway for, for the listeners there. There we go. Just um, do it just do it i yeah i'm gonna add that sort of as my point uh for number 13 for legal reasons we should probably point out that you should not just do it <laughs> do a cost benefit analysis first yeah no i'm gonna cross that out on the article that i was gonna put on the internet okay um let's stop there as always thanks for listening if you have any thoughts or suggestions for topics you can email us at podcast at we'd love to hear from you also if you've enjoyed the podcast um what what should people do nick I think they should uh, give a cheeky wink to that like button. Yeah, they should. They should just do it. Uh, they should just like it. Uh, and follow us on your chosen streaming service. Um, thank you, as always, for listening to the Cognitive Engineering Podcast. I'm Fraser McGrew. We've been here with Peter Coghill and Nick Hare of Aleph Insights. Until next time, goodbye. Mm -hmm.